I believe in the good things coming, 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 coming. I believe in the good things coming, 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 coming. Out of darkness, light are pumping, 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 pumping. Into white light, all things running, 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 running. Who have I been? Who am I becoming? Coming. Hello, coming, and you are coming, on with Waking with Aurea. Wow. Good morning. This is our new time, Thursday, 11. Every Thursday at 11, we'll be able to chat and discuss and be together live. And I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be here with you. Thank you. All of you are here. I don't have to mention names every time. You may not like it, but I appreciate it. I really do. It's. I know that I'm talking to the entire world in retrospect, and, and there is such a wide, wide audience of people on this journey. We are all on this journey together, on this journey back home, back to our heart. The hero's journey is something that's built in to all of us. We are all here to come out and fully express ourselves. We are here to be ourselves fully. And sometimes life feels like such chaos and misery and a mess. And yet everything in our life, everything is designed for one thing. It's designed to get us to stand up for ourselves, to get us to see our own beauty, not seek for validation, see our own magnificence, believe in our own divinity, and experience the godliness, which is who we are. The waking up process is a sacred one. It's like a baby waking up slowly. You need to be gentle. You need to be respectful. You need to have reverence for yourself, reverence for your own waking process, reverence for this journey of awakening. And today, we are going to talk about self-care, or at least attempt to. Self-care has a notion of being selfish, taking care of oneself, and yet it is the beginning of a true spiritual awakening, the realization that the first thing we must do is take care of ourselves, meaning take care of this body, take care of our mind, take care of our emotional and spiritual well-being. In order for us to do anything good in this world, in order for us to be of value and of service or whatever it is that we are here to do, we must be healthy. We must. And it's not just about being physically healthy. It's about being healthy all around. It's being able to have peace of mind, having peace of mind, being able to be present, to pay attention, being able to allow the guidance, allow spirit to speak through us, to express itself through us. And for that, the journey begins with what allows you, what allows you, what allows me to be myself freely, to be myself naturally, to be myself without trying. That is the ultimate journey of awakening, is to just be without trying, to Express yourself and share your music effortlessly, 
yes, it does take some effort, but the effort really, the effort, the real effort begins with taking care of yourself. And my journey of self-care began a long time ago. It began ultimately when I was born. My name, Aurea, was given to me by my parents when I was born premature. I was born at the end of the sixth month of pregnancy. And at those days, I guess, the likelihood of surviving was very low. And they chose, they were studying Jewish mysticism at the time, and they chose a name of a medicine man, of a high priest in the Jewish tradition that had the capacities and the capabilities to bridge between this world and the spiritual world. And my parents knew that self-care begins with the story. Self-care begins with the identity, with the belief of who we are, with giving me a name, giving me an association of healing, of divinity, giving me the connection to something ancient was a way to get me going, was about me telling my own story without having to actually speak it just by being. Of course, that, you know, while luckily and gratefully, I did survive, and I grew up, and I'm here today. My conscious journey of self-care didn't begin until about, I don't know, eight years ago or so, where I found myself really, really, really sick, like physically sick. I was much, much heavier in weight. I was very depressed. I had to go to sleep with a machine that would blow air down my lungs just so I can sleep. And I was only 26, and they diagnosed me with a whole bunch of uh, illnesses and diseases and stuff that they told me that basically I have to live with for the rest of my life. And now I didn't get there overnight. That, that was 26 years of neglect, 26 years of not taking care of myself. And that was mostly due to the environment and education that I grew up on. When I grew up in Israel as a religious Orthodox Jew, physical education was not part of the process. We didn't have gym. We didn't have physical ed. As a matter of fact, anything to do with the body was not spiritual. Anything that had, that had to do with taking care of yourself and pleasure and joy was something to avoid. We, it was something to, you know, we're here to do certain things. You don't want to just sit around. You don't want to sleep. It's all about doing and doing and doing and doing and studying and getting more information just so one day we can be happy. That was the environment I grew up in as a religious Jew. Of course, even when I left that group, even when I left those habits as a religious Jew, I found, I found myself in the same environment, just with a different story. Because instead of the Bible being what I needed to study and Jewish law and all these restrictions, it became about education, you know, and winning in the capitalist system. So 
physical education and self-care also wasn't part of the curriculum. It was about going to school, making more money, having the right kind of friends. Nobody ever talked to me, and I'm sure nobody ever talks to you, or at least not enough, about taking care of yourself, about knowing who you are, knowing what feels good to you, knowing what nourishes you. Because our essential task, and this is what I believe I'm here to inspire and help and guide and share and express, it really is about knowing what you love. Everyone's essential task is the same. It's knowing what you love and being able to format your life around it. When you know what you love, it guides you, it propels you. Love itself is such a greater intelligence than our mind. Love is what connects us all, and we know it. Love is the one feeling, the one experience that transcends time and space. It does. Love is that one experience that brings us together no matter what. So admitting and acknowledging that love, the feeling of belonging, the feeling of being ourselves without trying, loving ourselves, is ultimately the result of a nourished body, a nourished mind. The result of peace of mind comes sharing and expressing. So this being spiritual business, you know, giving to others, sharing, providing value, doesn't really work if you don't honor yourself. It doesn't really work if you don't know what nourishes you. And that doesn't take, you know, one podcast or one journey or one seminar or one book. It's an ongoing thing. I've begun this process eight years ago consciously. It was literally eight years ago that I I had a full business and I had business partners and it was going on for quite some years right now, but it was my fourth or fifth business that I really didn't want to be in. It was a good idea, but once I was fully immersed in it, it wasn't the thing I wanted to do. And of course I kept going because you know, I got to go and make the money and keep up to this uh, childhood fantasy of making more money and doing the things that looked cool. And I drove myself, you know, down to the ground health-wise. And it was eight years ago or so where I literally told my business partners that I'm going to go away for the weekend that's all. I said, I'm going to go away for the weekend and in a few days off. And what I really did is I packed up my car and I drove to California all the way from New York one way without having any intention of coming back. I told it to everyone. I told it to my business partners. I told it to, you know, I had a few people who I told the truth who I knew would support me, but I needed to do what I needed to do. So my act of self-care actually begun in a way that most people wouldn't approve. My act of self-care, the beginning part of it, was to get in the car and drive away and literally run away from everything. Because at that point, I knew that this is the one thing left for me to do. 
for me to take care of myself. I got to go away. I got to run away. And while I never had any preview, I never worked for anyone else. I was always an entrepreneur. I never felt very confident about whatever skills I've already accumulated because it was all so random. I knew that I needed to follow my heart. And my heart told me, go to California, go get healthier, go get better. And while my fantasy was to get a job working at a coffee shop and, you know, learning how to surf, because that's what I saw on TV a lot, <laughs> it didn't quite happen that way. But it doesn't matter. You know, the point is that what I went for is self-care. And going from 220-something pounds to whatever, to a better weight, that it wasn't about the weight, obviously, it still it never is about weight. It's about being healthy. It's about being light. It's about having the power to just be yourself and fully express yourself. That became my journey. My journey became about quieting my mind and quieting my body and nourishing it. And I recommend it. <laughs> I recommend not worrying about the path and the way, but just knowing that if you... Know that self-care is something you got to do because you're, it's already in your environment. It's already in your story. Then my reminder to you right now that it's not going to happen after you get settled. It's not going to happen after you make the money because that's the biggest mistake that we all make. We say we'll take care of ourselves later. We'll take care of ourselves after we make the money, after we get set up. When we get back after the break, we'll continue this. In the moon of the budding trees I was gifted new eyes to see All of the shifting shape and ways you can be Wake the dreams into realities Wake the dreams into realities Sunset diamonds trickle down our cheeks So, the road trip <laughs> the road trip from New York to California. I didn't really have a destination in mind, so I took my time with it, but I couldn't take that much time because I didn't, I didn't really have too much money. I had about you know, a week or so in hotels. Actually, my original plan was to sleep in the car, and I even tested that theory, and I slept in the car one night down in Battery Park City. That wasn't that much fun, but it was doable. And the first night that I went to sleep in the car, I realized that I never tested it with bags in the back. So when I put my seat down, that wasn't really possible. So on the first day, on the first day of the trip, I actually had to come up with a whole new way. And actually, so something happened. I was on a lot of medication. I was on, basically, I was on these uppers. They gave me these pills called Provigil because I kept falling asleep while driving. And they told me that since I had very severe sleep apnea, I never got any sleep. So anytime I would sit down for more than like 10 minutes, I'd fall asleep. And it's true. And I was running on adrenaline alone. So when I left to, on the road trip, of course I took a whole bunch of these pills with me. And... You know, the first night I made it, and then I remember the second day, I was 
popping the pills just to stay up because I could literally not stay up for more than 20 minutes without them. And I got to Memphis. I got to Memphis and I had a glass of wine in order to try to calm me down because the uppers would be so much that I needed a way to calm down. And then, of course, I dug into an old stash of painkillers that I brought with me just to continue the... Uh, so here I am on a journey of self-care, but of course still popping pills because I got to survive. I got to stay up for the road. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to die. And I remember taking some painkillers with the idea that it's going to help me go to sleep. And I was in the hotel by myself and I got so, so sick. I really, really, like, I didn't just think I was going to die. I knew that I'm, like, this is the end. And I called my father. I called a few people who I had on my phone. Nobody picked up. And I realized that this is it. Like, I'm all, I'm all on my own. And I remember I got into the car and decided to drive, drive, you know, continue driving at 2 a.m., and I was driving and it was stormy. It was one of those stormy nights. It was raining. And I remember Jack Canfield from The Secret. And he had this thing about, I think he even said, going across country. You only see the, you know, when you're driving at night, you only see the headlights. You only see the, the next 200 feet. And your job is to keep driving. You don't know what's beyond those 200 feet, but you just keep driving. And I found myself in the exact same situation, going 60 miles per hour in the rain next to you know, all these trucks that are whizzing by because I was always the slowest guy on the road. But physically, I felt so ill. And it all just... I, I just broke down crying. I realized that I'm still carrying all the pills with me and I still have all these things just to help me, you know, go to sleep or stay up. And I, I remember just chucking them all out the window, like driving, just throwing all the pills out from the window and crying for hours, just driving and crying and connecting to that place that Jack Canfield was talking about, just trusting the next 200 feet. And I realized that I have finally begun my journey of trust. I finally begun the road where I don't have to know what's going to happen. I don't have to know what's waiting for me on the other side. I don't even know what's waiting for me in the next couple of hours. But I did know that all the pills and all the stuff that I had to help me function was going to kill me. It really was. I was 26 years old and I needed a machine to breathe. I was 26 years old and I needed a machine to help me sleep. And I knew... I knew that it was me. I didn't blame anyone. I knew that it was me waking myself up. I took myself all the way on this journey of destruction because someone, something needed to wake me up. And I find that so true in my life and I find it so true with the people that I play with and I work with. This entire journey of disconnection where we get disconnected from ourselves Including when our parents, you know, disappoint us or our friends or family seem to abandon us. And, and especially when we 
do that to ourselves, when we have this sense of self-betrayal, like we are doing something wrong, we left ourselves, we have been betraying who we are, that is such a sign, that is exactly what this journey is all about. We disconnect in order to come back around and remind ourselves in such a stark, strong way to really be who we are and to truly tell our own story and to get present, to get really present to our emotions, to get really present to what it is that we love and what it is that we feel. Because we have been, I know I have been, taught to ignore my emotions, to ignore my feelings, because, you know, they, whatever, I don't even have to tell you guys, we all know, but to start honoring what comes up, to honor your feelings and your emotions and to really feel them, not try to control them, not try to navigate them. That was the beginning. That's, that's how I got started because just like I was driving in, that, in the car and realizing that, that there's something wrong with me, that I'm really screwed up. That was the feeling. I've always had that feeling up to about five years ago that there is something wrong with me and I will, you know, and I need outside help and outside input and outside medication in order for me to be able to navigate my thoughts, to navigate my emotions. And I know how many of you struggle with the same thing. I know that because I've gone through it and I still go through it. Yet my ability to navigate and to make meaning out of any story that comes up in a way that is beneficial to me. Because it really is about meaning making. It's about knowing what comes up, feeling fully into it, and then doing something with it. Then guiding your own consciousness, leading your own consciousness to make meaning for stuff and for experiences that nourish you. To make meaning out of your misery is not to ignore it, but to continue the story in a way that you want to tell it. If my story was that I grew up sick and alone, because that's how I felt, I felt my entire life that I'm sick, not good enough, and alone. Now, I make it my life's work to pay attention to others, to get healthier, to use the same stuff, the same environment, the same even tools and resources that were used to suppress me, like religion, spirituality, community rituals, that were used and still are in many places in the world to control someone's identity and to suppress the emotions and feelings, actually use the same reminders and the same resources to heal myself and to build my family and to be more present with my emotions, to be more present with what I feel. Self-care ultimately leads to presence. It does. It really does. Because when you are able to stay with yourself no matter what, when you are able to feel what comes up and not try to avoid it, when you're able to 
honor your emotions and consider yourself sacred, then you can navigate. You can reshape your story moment by moment. You don't have to feel sorry for yourself. As a matter of fact, I'm extremely, I'm excited and enthusiastic about the life that I've had. I'm very grateful for my father to have left us when I was two years old. At least that was my feeling. I'm grateful for growing up with a, a household that had a lot of substance abuse and heroin addiction. I'm grateful for the rabbis and teachers that have misused their power with me and sexually objectified me because it gave me the platform, it gave me the foundation to heal and to undo and to redo and to be able to use my story as a healing mechanism, to use my story to exemplify and inspire that Again, whatever ways we have been cut off from ourselves, whatever ways we have been disconnected from ourselves and from our emotions are the vehicles in which we can find freedom again. And it's not about ignoring or healing. It's about going through it, fully experiencing what we have ignored again, fully experiencing what we have shoved down allowing the feelings to transform by feeling them fully. Now, anytime I have self-doubt, instead of trying to pep-talk myself, instead of saying how, you know, everything is going to be okay, I just allow the feelings to fully be felt. And I allow life to pep-talk me, not my head. We'll be back in a minute. So tap me out and tap me into you Heal my brain and my body too Balance my chemistry, hydrate these cells Cause the body talks and meditation helps The body talks and meditation helps You got great music today, thank you Sam It's good stuff so the journey of self-care, the journey to self-care, I mean, really ultimately I can tell of, by my life that my journey has led me here. My journey has led me to, you know, I said to be able to format my life around what I love, but this thing about being able to, I'm doing it and I'm doing it slowly. It may seem fast, but it's, piece by piece, and it's, it's this vision that I guess I've always had for myself, but I didn't know. It's giving myself the space, having given myself space, not from a place of luxury, but from a place of necessity. I had to, because guess what? Even after I moved to California and got healthy and got myself a really great job and you know I allowed it to happen I just you know I allowed life to show me a path to stuff that I really enjoy I allowed life to take me and but whatever work I didn't do I still had to do so 
three, four years into my new life in California because my dream was to come to California and start again because nobody knew me. I really would have the chance to do it right. Guess what? Of course I found myself in exactly the same position I did in New York. I was drinking a lot. I didn't like my, my, uh, the people I worked for. I didn't enjoy my job. Uh, basically everything, but just different people and different titles. And that's when I got really scared because I thought that moving to California, starting again, would actually solve the issue. And I thought that if I could take care of myself, then everything would be fine. And I find myself in the same place. And that is when space became the necessity. That's when I didn't trust myself anymore. I was 29. And I didn't trust myself because I kept ending up in the same place again and again and again. And I was very bitter. I was bitter not at anyone in specific. I was bitter at my life. I was bitter at my situation. How can it be that I consistently find myself in the same spaces? And that's when out of desperation and sheer I don't know what's more desperation would be the best word for me. I would take time for myself. I would drive over to the beach and again, I was in a relationship I didn't want to be in. Everything was the same. Like I was in New York and I went every day to the beach and I sat there from anywhere between 20 minutes to three hours, depending on how much mental powers I had because it was very, 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 very hard for me to just sit there and do nothing. But that is what I did. Three to five times a week, I went and I sat there on a beach chair because my back was never in a place where I could just sit in the sand. I sat there on a beach chair listening to music, looking at the waves. And my number one agenda, my goal was to see what comes up. My mother had talked to me about meditations. I was working for a spiritual organization and I had a lot of experience with being by myself and contemplating, but I never really did it. I had a lot of experience in knowing that that's something to do. I was, I was working with a lot of people in the personal development industry in a uh, marketing and business development role and I saw the best of the best material out there, but I never really truly applied it. Because, honestly, because I never found examples that I wanted to follow. Every time I got to the back room of an organization, I didn't like what I saw. It was, at least from my perspective back then, it always came down to how many emails you had on your list and how many products we can sell. And, you know, that really, I had, I had a real crisis of consciousness. I had a spiritual crisis when I was 29 and living in, Los, in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, working with the top people in the spiritual and personal development arena. And 99% of our conversations were about marketing and how to get more people to sign up for more things. 
So me going to the beach every day, I literally would find myself on my knees crying and begging life, begging the universe to show me something. Like really, really show me something. Uh, it wasn't even show me the way, just show me what I, show me what I need to see. And it happened. It happened one day. <laughs> you know, we all have those moments. And if we don't pay attention. It was probably nine months, maybe seven, eight months of going to the beach every day. Spending three hours, two hours, whatever it was. With myself that one day. I met, like I had this experience where. I got out of my head. I don't know if that, you feel that. But I was able to observe myself. Just for a split second, I actually saw what I was doing. I wasn't my head. I wasn't my thinking. I saw that I am a human being that thinks. I experienced the fact that I'm not my thoughts. That I have thoughts. And from that back seat from that observer witnessing standpoint I saw that all of my suffering, all of my misery my biggest struggle is that I do not want to be here I want to be somewhere else I'm working to become someone else no matter what business or industry or people or job I gave myself while I was around I never truly wanted to be there I thought that I'm faking it. I'm just doing my part so one day I can be someone. So one day I can be that person I want to be. And I, re I'll always, I'll re I always remember that I just, I just like fell down to, to the sand and I hugged myself. I hugged myself and I was crying. And all I said to myself is, Hi, Aurea. Wow, I'm so sorry that that's how you've been feeling all along. Like I saw myself from a child to a teenager to, you know, into my 20s, always trying to be someone else. Always, always hoping that one day I will be discovered. One day I'm going to get that help. I'm going to get that big idea, whatever it may be. And that was my big idea. That is still my big idea. That all of your anxiety, all of your suffering, as you're really thinking, feeling that you're not good as you are right now, and that you need to be someone else. You need to be somewhere else. So compassion, real compassion for myself, ongoing compassion for myself from that day forward, my work has become about loving myself when I don't. Being kind to myself, being compassionate for myself for the 29, 30 years that I spent trying to be someone else. And those are patterns that really get ingrained. And it doesn't, it's not all about one time and one epiphany that all of a sudden that you love yourself. The bitterness, the sense of victimhood, like 
I was wrong. I grew up in a society that didn't teach me math or science, or I couldn't point Israel out on the map at the age of 15. That's true, by the way. I really had zero education, and I thought that I'm handicapped because here I am going out to the world with no education, never interacted with anyone but very religious people. I didn't start talking to women until I was uh, hmm, 17 or so. And here I am in a country because I moved from Israel to America at 14 starting from scratch, feeling so alone, like really not good enough. And that sense of like not fair, like it's not fair. Like it's not fair that everybody else has got something. They got some sort of thing going for them. And I felt like I didn't. And my work begun and still continues in that place. Compassion for myself and realizing that all of these misfortunes or whatnot, they really are a blessing. It really, it really is. My lack of education gave me the space and the room to fill it up with whatever stories I want to tell. It's easier for me to live in my imagination than it is to fit into an existing story. When I moved to California, I didn't really know what I was going to do because I always knew that it's easier for me to start a new business as opposed to work for somebody. And turning all of these things that I considered were misfortunes and, un and suppression, realizing that these are the places I'm going to be able to connect with you. These are the places that I know where you are. I know where you've been. And when I talk about compassion, it's not something in the ethers. It's not something that we're reading in the book. It's really doing it. If you are bitter and sad and you find yourself just feeling sorry for yourself and you can't get out of it, well, acknowledge that. Acknowledge that you spend a lot of time beating yourself up. Imagine yourself parenting yourself. Imagine yourself zoom out, take a step back and see what you would do if you had a child that continuously beat themselves up. You would have compassion for them. You would remind them all, all of the good things that are happening. You would focus and be present to the fact that no matter what happened, life continues and begins here moment by moment, moment by moment. And self-care begins with compassion, begins with kindness, begins with space, and as a matter of fact, ends there too. It does. It continues. We'll be back. Though I wanted to take your advice I need to do everything twice I can't deny I heard you the first time Yeah, I should've known better Made a habit of breaking the rules Now I'm standing here playing the fool Always keeping over the headlines Yeah, I should've known better I was uh, nine years old 
nine, well, no, 11. I was 11, and I remember going to see my mother in the hospital who had a terrible car accident when I was nine. And in my socks, I had packets of heroin. In my socks, I had packets of heroin to deliver to my mother, who at that time was on heroin. And I remember feeling sorry for myself, like feeling really, really sorry for myself. But there was something good about it. Like, I like that sense of self-pity, I remember. We make such great meaning out of pity and out of self-pity. Like, we love it. It gives us, it gave me meaning. I felt like I'm, you know, I was on the bus. I remember I was on the bus and there were Israeli soldiers sitting next to me. And I was just thinking, like, if they only knew. You know, I was a religious boy. I had the things and the yarmulke. And here I am, you know, on a bus with heroin in my socks. Uh, I had the same feeling when I was carrying it in my mouth. Oh, I had the same feelings throughout any time, actually. I had self-pity about whatever... You know, I felt my father not being there or when I moved to America and I had to leave my family behind. Whatever it is, I just want to remind you guys and point out to that self-pity. You actually like it. We like it. We make something out of it. It gives us, it, it's the place where we nurture ourselves. It becomes the one place that we can rely on. It becomes that one place where we feel like someone is taking care of us. That's why it's so hard for us to change that self-pity and to change that bitterness because the truth is, for a long time, it may have been your only place of love. It may have been the only place where you felt recognized by yourself. So to turn the self-pity into compassion is a wonderful thing because essentially it's a lot of the same feelings compassion, self-love, self-pity. When you stop waiting for the outside world to fix you, when I stop waiting for my mother and my father to do the right thing, or my teachers to do the right thing, and it became about me having compassion for myself, then the real turning point was I started telling the truth, or more of the truth. Because when I, with compassion, when you have compassion for yourself, when you realize that ah, it's all just been so difficult, it's been so hard to try and try and try and hope that one day you'll be that person you want to be, when you just start from scratch, when you start from here, you don't have to lie. You don't have to tell different stories to different people just so they like you, just so you can get a passing grade, just so you can get that client or whatever it may be. And I started telling more of the truth. And let me tell you, that journey of truth is an ongoing one. I wish I could say that I'm 100% transparent in my life, but I'm not. I only do what I can handle. And that is something that self-care has taught me it's not about doing the right thing. It's not. It's about being right with yourself, knowing my own rhythms, 
knowing what I can take, knowing how much I can handle, and giving myself time to be more courageous. So the real shift between you know, feeling bad for myself and wishing to be someone one day to actually being someone and formatting my life around what I love, which is inspiring and sharing and speaking and writing and expressing myself, that journey has so much to do with how truthful I am with myself and then inching and slowly doing that with other people. The more I do it with other people, the more I bring people into my reality, the more the universe can actually send me things my way. The more honest I am with myself of what I really love and what I really like, the more I will recognize when opportunities come. The more I give myself space to know that what I'm doing right now is what I love to do, the more comfortable I get with not having to know what I'm going to say and allow spirit and life to flow through me. And that journey of self-care really is, is, a, is, a, is a sacred one. It's the one that I'm here to inspire you and to remind you to be selfish in some ways, actually. To actually be selfish. To know that taking care of your temple, taking care of your reality will ultimately allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do. And compassion and kindness to yourself is it. If I could, if, if this is what I end up talking about and expressing and sharing for the rest of my life, about being kind to yourself, having a gentler relationship with yourself, having a more of a witnessing and observer approach to life, and when you do feel the bitterness, when you do feel that self-pity, to know that you're making meanings out of it, and it's okay. And you're going to have to create a new story. You're going to have to find new ways to feel loved. And it begins with you knowing that you're not just all right, but you are an amazing, magical, magnificent, divine human being. You brought yourself here to remind yourself through this journey to experience the reconnection once again, but this time, do it with others. Right now, we do this work with other people. Right now, we are surrounded by mirrors and helpers and wizards and guides and all kinds of magic just to get us to stand up for ourselves. When my mother gave me the option to leave to America and leave my family behind, I have I've left four brothers and someone I called dad, my stepfather, someone I called Abba for all of my life. I left them behind, and it was a decision I had to make in two weeks. It was right before the beginning of the new school year, and my mother said, you have a couple of weeks to decide. So I'll always remember when I went to to meditate, to the mikvah, to this bathhouse. I remember my prayer at 14, and I said specifically, I said, I know I am going for selfish reasons. I said that. I know that I am leaving my family behind because I want it to be easier. I want it to be easier for me. It was difficult. It was hard 
religion and heroin and sexual abuse and it, it was I, I knew there there was another way so when my mother showed me the door when my mother said what's possible I knew I'm taking care of myself and my prayer was even though I'm taking care of myself just let me feel good about it I don't want to have to deal with guilt over it help me guide me show me and just give me some peace with this decision that I'm making that it's all about me. And guess what? That's still my work. That's still my work to learn how to say no to people when I need more time for myself, to stop doing the right thing just because it looks good, and to know that when I take care of myself, when everything that I do is rooted in compassion and kindness and the ability for my story to be told naturally and not forcefully, that I'll continue to be supported by life. Right now, I'm experiencing support from life. And that's an adjustment to me. Instead of fighting, instead of trying to know that as long as I show up, I'll be supported. You know, you think I'd be a lot more relaxed and chill about it all, and yet those neuro pathways of worry, of self-pity, they're still there. It's my work. It's my work to negate my self-pity and doubt with compassion and love and mark every day as the defining moment. Every story, every interaction is another opportunity for me to be present with myself and to listen and not interpret. So... I wish you all and I wish us all a wonderful, wonderful journey of self-care. So may we enjoy each other.